look at that 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 was hey chris did you time that with that music ending like that i did were you like were you i mean you you dj now that was almost I'm like a, dead perfect i'm impressed <laughs> it's simple well, yeah right <laughs> simple um now he's, simple, now he's uh, never gonna do it again <laughs> yeah that was pretty cool so hey we've got a really we've got a really cool guest on i mean this dude well look at the beard first off i mean for those that are live or watching the video i mean he is one handsome dude uh but you know, is 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 i think that a giant in the industry uh, i'll call him a giant uh you know dylan's here with us and we're gonna take and jump in and uh really talk about you know he comes from a really interesting perspective of one of the biggest things and we got a class here right now is that i get into one of the three pillars of detailing of, of entrepreneurship is marketing and i think this dude's one of the one of the best at it in the industry so we're going to get to talk to uh one of the best at marketing but before we do that welcome to the Randy Bell podcast and chris what the hell is on the shirt this week on my shirt this week, it's um. Oh come on! Don't, hold, hold on! Oh, oh look! Do you hold get on. To, oh, my shirt! My, yeah. Mine! I do this every week. <laughs> Don't be surprised. Oh, I'm so surprised! It says. Yeah, uh, it exactly. says. Lit, <laughs> live fast, die cast. It's a couple of Hot Wheels on Hot Wheels track. So, um, oh, that's if, cool. If you cool. if you've been in my uh, if you haven't been in my garage. Um, in boxes and everything else there's about i don't know a couple thousand hot wheels and uh there's even just behind me you can't see them but behind me there's a couple hundred on the wall so you know i that, i have an impression cool. hey we need to set up a hot wheels track in the shop yeah we do there's plenty of room i think i think wouldn't we could probably make that happen i think we could that'd be fun man find an old so i had the original you know the loopy one right you know I mean the one yep. that did the 360 and man that was just cool and then you know we we took and i was a, a slight pyro when i was young and so you couldn't do the 360 without having hot wheel on fire you know so you take lighter yeah. fluid light it on fire send it down the track and then pray that it didn't get stuck on the track and melt it you know <laughs> you know about about five years ago or so they did a live real size version of that on a hot wheels track at the indy 500 i think or or at indianapolis so and uh it but were they on fire but they weren't were they on, on fire, fire. No, okay no. see that's yeah, i'll take it one step further when i did that when i was a kid and i was a little bit of a pyro too you take the bottle rocket you put it on the back end of it you light it and then it goes really fast through the loop they oh, usually shoot oh, the and you can't find it but oh that's Jack way Hart. cool man heck yeah that was just did you guys ever have uh, bottle rocket fights in the neighborhood oh, yeah. where you try to hit oh, each other? Oh, yeah, right? That was really, you know, safe and, safe and sane fireworks. You know, I mean, no way. We didn't want the boring fireworks. We wanted the, the guy Mexico fireworks. fireworks. Yeah, so it was it was crazy. So, so hey, Chris, you want to introduce uh, Dylan? For those, if you live under, I shouldn't say that because there are new people in the industry. So, but you need you need to know Dylan. Uh, one of the big things I tell people is if you're jumping in this industry, really start doing your research on who's who, you know, because it's really important. And then we're going to jump in and talk about events because when you go to events, guess who you get to meet? You guys like Dylan, you know, and you get, would you let people touch your beard? You know, maybe. Depends. Maybe for a small <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you know what? We need to take it. 
we need to have we need to get Jason Rose to grow a beard. I don't know what that. I'm not sure what that would look like. I'm kind of that. Yeah, a disturbing image to some degree. Yeah, well, I mean that would be kind of cool out. to see Jason Rose. I'm gonna get a text right now from him. You know, that'd be cool. <laughs> we gotta we gotta take in, we gotta beard up, man. We gotta Jason. And I gotta we gotta get get our game going. You know, Jason, if you're watching, dude. We I mean, look at this. I mean, we're just Chris. We need to have you grow a beard. But then it would take and cover your shirts, so that wouldn't be too. Yeah, cool. you'd have to do that. Yeah, that wouldn't be good. There you go. So, all right, Chris, go ahead. Well, hey, Dylan, before I introduce you fully, I want to clear something up because it's going to come up a lot in the conversation. Yep. Is the proper way to huh. pronounce? Is it roops, rupees, rupees? I think we just need to clear that up right off the bat. It's funny that we have to start every training with that. It is Rupes. Okay. We start every training with the, these are the ways not to say it. And then there's, there's the proper way, but it's Rupes. Rupes. So that's, and that's exactly how I say it. So that's good. So anyway, so everybody, we've got a, uh, we've got Dylan Von Kleist, right? I pronounced your name right, correct? You got it. Yep. Very good. Um, anyway, Dylan's been involved in the detailing industry for over 20 years. Uh, he started his business in high school. And uh, he's detailed some of the most valuable car collections in the world. And he eventually um, was, you know, caught the attention of manufacturers. And he's worked with different manufacturers and suppliers over the years. And for the last, what, six years now, you've worked as marketing manager for, uh, for Rupes. Correct. So um, anyway, and if, if for some reason, like Rennie was mentioning earlier, that rock you've been living under, for some reason, you've been living under a rock. Uh, Rupes is a family-owned Italian tool company, and they manufacture some of the most innovative and some of the highest quality detailing tools and polishers out there. So well, I'll that is I'll tell you, introduction. I'm, I'm going to even go one step further. Is I, I think that Rupes changed the entire industry. I think the, the, the guy that's with us right now is one of the team members that helped do that. I remember being at at SEMA the first year they they had a little tiny you know 10 by 10 display and they had this you know 3d printed model of this and and we knew that it was going to be something but we had no idea and I, you know my takeaway from working and watching you know best grow and then the American team be constructed was that you know I've got a saying the best book on Amazon isn't always the best sold book but if you can write a really good book and market it right, you're going to be a millionaire. And mm -hmm. Rupes came in with a fantastic tool that continued that innovation, but the marketing behind the machine is incredible. And this is one of the guys that did it. So it didn't happen by chance, though. So, Dylan, kind of explain your background. So you started in high school. The marketing started right then and there. Go from there. Yeah. Yeah, I started out in high school. I would tell people I had I had two choices. I wanted money, you know. I wanted to be able to buy my first car and stuff. And I had two choices: mow lawns or wash cars. And I hated mowing lawns, so it was that was the only option I had. I had no other marketable skills at sixteen, and so I, I started a business with a buddy and uh, you know, mobile business out of a trailer, working on weekends. You know, sixteen-year-old kid in high school, and eventually, you know, that turns into one thing after another, and. It's a it's a crazy journey. I sit the, sit sometimes and kind of do the connect the dots and all the the, the places I've gone because I you know clean cars, and, and it's 
it's utterly bizarre. I mean, if I had if I had thought back then when we put that trailer together that I'd be sitting here right now doing a podcast talking about it, I one podcast didn't exist. It'd be pretty pretty innovative if I knew they existed back then. But I, it's it's crazy. And so it I just had this conversation last week with uh, with the guys at Jack's Wax. We were in Ohio for a training with them, and. I, I kind, of, kind of every time I tell this story, I have to remind people that I started a business 16, 16 and I bounced in and out of the industry because I kept thinking I had to get a real job, you know, and I hated it. And I'd go back to detailing cars. So I, did, I, I didn't care that I wasn't making as much money. I wanted to be happy too. So striking that balance. But what has allowed me to get to the supplier side and do what I'm doing now is not my ability to polish a car. That got attention, but it's the secondary skill set that you develop that makes you valuable to a business. So if you, if anybody listening or ever watch this in the future, being good at detailing cars doesn't land you a job as a marketing manager at Rufus. Being, being good at marketing lands you a job as a marketing manager at Rufus. The understanding car detailing is helpful in that, and that you can talk the talk and walk the walk, but you have to have a secondary skill set. And so when I hear guys talk about, man, I wish I, I wish I could go to work for a, a big brand. I like what I want to do what you're doing. I don't want to do the service thing forever. And the, the best piece of advice I can give you is develop another skill set. You know, the big the big companies, the McGuire's and the Rupas and PNS and everybody in between, Flex, all these guys, they don't hire detailers. They hire people who do a job that happen to have an interest in detailing. So my my, well, my soapbox well, to start things off. Every time well, I tell this story, I have to remind people it's not about being able to make cars shiny. It's about being able to do something else well and make cars shiny. Yeah, well said. So so take us through. So you're a kid detailing. You keep and it's similar. It's funny. So many of us, even people right here, students right now that have bounced in and out of detailing, they keep coming back to it. it it's it's like a drug, you know. And when you mm -hmm. like cars and you like I think so many of us, you know, have OCD or ADHD or whatever it is, and we like that gratification, you know, and, and we just, we, it, it never seems to leave your blood. And so, hey, so you now you, get, you, you, you can't, it's just, it, it becomes part of your DNA. So take us through, so you're, you're detailing as a kid, you go into your adulthood, you know, man, I get, do I got to get a real job? Um, so so, so how, how did you... How did you stand out? You, you know, you in your bio, you worked on some incredible collections. What what allowed that to happen for you? It was it was largely built off a of reputation. I mean, I started out like anybody. I had the the luxury, at least, of when I started that first mobile business in high school. Is my buddy that I started with. His dad was a LA County firefighter, and so if you know anything about firefighters, especially those in California, they all have a truck, a boat a bunch of stuff and they're sitting around the firehouse you know if they're working a 410 or whatever it is they're sitting there and they have nothing else to do so they bring their stuff with them so we had a little bit of an inside track we'd get the tip on where all the cool stuff was and we'd go set up shop behind that fire station on a saturday or sunday and we'd, we'd sit there and i mean this is this is 96 97 98 we're doing very very i mean by the time standards it was pretty good detailing but looking at it today i go man we were working too hard for too little but We'd go there, we'd clean up, and then I felt like, you know, king of the world going back to, you know, school on Monday after a week at a bust in my hump, and I got, you know, a couple hundred bucks of cash in my pocket, you know, feeling, feeling pretty good. That eventually expanded out, and, you know, you, you get a reputation, and a friend tells a friend, and if you're always the guy, some people, you want to be the guy for somebody. Oh, I've got a guy. I, this guy does my boat. He's awesome. This guy does my truck. He's awesome. 
And it slowly just kind of morphed into something else. We eventually, my buddy and I, we, we sold the business off from uh, when we started in high school and college started and we bought real jobs. And so I was just doing detailing on the side, but my reputation was still out there that, you know, this guy can really, really shine up a car if you need him. So I was taking side gigs. I decided to make it an official business. I start hiring guys again. And so I've got people working under me and eventually I find my way into a few collections. You know, it was one off work. It would be, Hey, we need you to do this one car. We hear you're really good. So I go in and do it. It turns out the guy's got, you know, 200 other cars in various stages of restoration and storage. And, and so that phase of my business, I called it discrete detailing because most of these guys didn't want you out there talking about where these cars were stored or what they had in the collection. They had them in, unmarked warehouses in Anaheim and places like that. And they wanted somebody to come in that they knew wasn't going to bring in their buddies, wasn't going to be in there goofing off. It could be trustworthy. And so that's kind of the, the, the basis for the business. It's funny because it'd be more useful today. We didn't have Facebook back then. You couldn't instantly post pictures all over the internet. But back then I didn't even take a lot of pictures of things because I wasn't supposed to. It was part of the agreement. These guys that have that kind of money in these kind of collections, they don't, they didn't want a lot of documentation of what was going on or where it was. Um, so it, it was a side gig and it just kept getting bigger and I'd hire guys on to help with the work while I was at work. And then eventually it becomes a, uh, you know, one of those things where you got to get back into it because the, like you said, the, the passion for it, it, I hated the day job and my wife and my wife, girlfriend at the time said, you're a miserable schmuck. You know, when you go to work and you come home, you should just stick to the detailing thing because you're much more pleasant to be around when you do that. So, yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. It's wonder how many hundreds and hundreds of us or thousands of us have had that same discussion with our significant other, you know, and I remember coming home and being really scared. I was an executive for a company making huge money and had been out of the detailing game for about eight years professionally, had just sold a window tinting business, you know, um, worked for five years, not touching cars. And by the fourth year, I, I just... I was miserable. I mean, you know, I was happy. I was making good money. I enjoyed my work, but I wasn't living my dream. I was building somebody else's. Mm -hmm. And and I wonder how many people have had that discussion. And what would you say to those people when you start thinking that? I think a lot of people, it, it they have anxiety and it's uh, paralysis by analysis, you know? My, my thing would be, and I love to hear yours, is as soon as you start thinking that way, I waited too long. I waited a year. That was a year too long. I should have started my dream right then and there. Now, I could have kept my day gig, and but I didn't I didn't start it. I waited too long. Dylan, what would you say? I'd say, you know, it's it, it's the it's the hard to answer question of work. It falls into the work-life balance thing, right? And part of work needs to be that you need a sense of, I, I'm big on it. It's not necessarily happiness, but fulfillment. Not everybody gets to be happy with what they're doing. I'd be lying if I said every day of Rupa's is the happiest day ever. I mean, I have days where I'm stressed out or project deadlines are crushing me or whatever, but it's the sense of fulfillment's the bigger piece. And if you sit there and you can't measure fulfillment on a spreadsheet, you can sit and put a spreadsheet together for your household budget, and this is what I make, and this is what it costs, and da 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 da. But ultimately, the, that fulfillment piece, you got to fill that up. You have to have that, or you're going to hate it. And you're going to be miserable and you're always going to be miserable. So I always tell people, you're trying to make that decision between doing what you want to do and doing what you have to do. Start looking at how you can make what you want to do pay the bills. I took, I mean, it was a solid 50% pay cut when I made the full jump back into the supplier side. I went to work for Adams Polishes. I had, I had a detailing business on the side. 
I was working for a company called Avery Denison, a Fortune 400 company, massive paper material supplier. Pretty much every label on earth is probably printed on material that came out of the Ranch Cucamonga facility. But it was, it was, you know, managing a paper mill. It was, it was miserable. It, but it paid really well. And to that point, I had the conversation. It was another time with the wife. She says, "You're miserable. You suck." And I said, "Well, it's about half the amount of money if I go work for for Adam Vitale at Adam's Polishes." And she goes. I'd rather make half the money and figure out a way to make ends meet than have to deal with you coming home every day miserable. We'll, we'll figure it out. So that's, and, and yeah, it was, I'm not going to say it's easy. You don't just flip the switch, cut half your income out and keep living life as is. You, you have to make some sacrifices, but that's that short-term investment in, in taking a little bit of less pay so you can be fulfilled. That fulfillment piece starts to build you up. And if you're excited and passionate about what you're doing, the rest kind of falls into place. I mean, you can't be lazy about it, but it's a hell of a lot easier to make a success story out of what you're happy to do than it is to try and make a success story out of what you hate doing. You know, it's brilliant, Shed. I, I recently started a journey. Um, I, I love to write and journal. And I, and I went back and I said, okay, when when was when was me as, as, a, as an individual person the happiest? And really from the age of about, I don't, know, I don't know, probably seven until I was like 27. I, I just was true to myself. And I said, what did, what did that, that, that kid back then want? And I came up with two words, healthy and wealthy. And, and, and I wanted to be healthy. That's mentally healthy, physically healthy. So that means active. Wealthy doesn't mean rich. It meant that I wanted to be fulfilled in life. And I love that yeah. you just said that. Because here I am going back at 55 years old and relooking so I can influence these younger, you know, the younger people coming in and the older people coming in. Don't damage yourself, you know, and you just hit it. So, man, that's just powerful. So, so take us back to Adams. So you're working at a paper. I love that. It was miserable, you know. Um, so take us back. So, so you're living in Southern California at that time, correct? Yep. Yep. Take it's us through California. that transition. How did that happen? It, so it's it, it's a long story. I'll give you the shorter version. But I had known Adam for a while. Um, in addition to doing the detailing thing, occasionally on weekends, I'd go to the Orange County swap meet. And he was a friend of a friend. And we were selling this product called Der Stuff, D-E-R Stuff. Compound and polish and kind of a glazy stuff and clay bars, which was kind of a new thing at the time. And and so we would, if we didn't have enough jobs booked out to go detail, me and my buddy would pull our trailer and we'd go work his booth at the Orange County swap meet selling the stuff and he'd just pay us out for cash under the table. And so I had that relationship with him going back and somewhere along the way I stopped doing that and he went on to do his own thing. He had a company called AP Detailing and I become aware of all of a sudden that he has his own line and go, oh, cool. So I buy some. I don't call him and ask for the discount. I just bought some. Got a, got one of his bucket kits. I'm like, yeah, curious what, curious what he's doing. Well, at the same time, I'd also been doing a lot of technical articles and write-ups for street trucks and truck and magazine and show truck and all these. I was, I was a hoodlum. I was into lowered bag trucks back in the day. I was a mini truck guy. So I would do these. They'd come and do a pictorial and we'd do a write-up, you know, how to get your truck ready for show season or how to take scratches out of your truck, blah, blah, blah. I figured I got this stuff from Adam. I'll, I'll use it in this write-up. Again, nothing. I didn't tell him I was going to do this. It was just I had it. I needed to use it. We'll do it. We'll do it in a in a in a shoot for a magazine. That magazine gets published. I still have it. I have the whole thing framed out. It's funny because it's it's funny to look back on. But I get a call from him. He reaches out and he says, "Hey, thanks for using my stuff. A long time no talk. 
I'm having a clinic and his warehouse was down in San Pedro, Long Beach area of California. So I'm having a clinic. It was a couple weeks out. Why don't you come down? I'd love to love to introduce you to everybody and, and have you just, you know, shake hands and stuff. Sure. I'm gonna reconnect with my buddy. So I go down and he's got, you know, a huge stack of these magazines. He's giving them out to everybody. He's telling people to have me sign it because I did the Adams, you know, right up in there and blah, blah, blah. Clinic goes and then he finishes and he says, man, I, I, you know, I really need help. He says, I need somebody to run internet forums. I need somebody who knows how to talk tech. I need help with product development. I need, I just need help. He says, can you do, you know, it's not a full-time gig. I'll pay you part-time. I'm working at Avery Dennis in the paper company at this point. And I, well, yeah, I said, I'm detailing on the side and doing these collections and stuff. So I got time to do product development while I'm doing that. And so, so I take a, I have a, a, you know, a regular day job and then I spend four hours at night running through internet forums and stuff, answering tech questions for him there. And then I'm doing product development and so young and stupid with no kids, just work from, you know, sun up to sundown and then through the night. Um, that eventually starts going so well, he turns into, Hey, I need you full time. I, I, I gotta have you full time. Okay. And so that's, that becomes that conversation of taking the huge pay cut to go work for a supplier and I do it. And then shortly thereafter, he picks up and moves to Colorado and says, you can keep working from home. You know, most of what you do is online. And then about a year into that, he goes, we need you here. I, I need you in the building. There's just so much going on. I need you to move to Colorado. So we think about it and we pick up stakes and move and, and here we are. I mean, it's, it's again, that whole story of all these weird things that have happened along the way, you end up exactly where you're supposed to be apparently. But um, yeah, that's the, that's the long and short of it. That's pretty cool. So, you know, you've had a, a, I always tell people that when you're doing detailing, right, it's a Broadway production and our entire industry has become in great part to Rupes and other brands, some great brands. Uh, but we'll concentrate on Rupes right now. Adam's part of that whole dialogue. PNS is now part of that whole dialogue, double black. I mean, there's just, there's a lot. I mean, Ceramic Pro, I mean, these different companies that have really been a fine example that detailers can follow that marketing's important. So take mm -hmm. us back from looking from the stage at what, how, how has detailing changed from your trench warfare days to the guys that are in the trenches today? Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah, and, and you bring up a good point. The marketing thing, there is a lot of really good marketing in the detail industry even compared to a lot of other industries, if you just do a comparison, the marketing and the detailing industry at various levels, all the way down to the technician up to the suppliers is very good. And the one thing I, the, the one thing I always have to touch on, we get these kind of conversations is that a lot of people perceive marketing to be, I don't want to call it the dirty trick, but people, Oh, well, it's all marketing. It's all marketing hype. There's no substance. And I, and, and it can be right. There can be a brand that's propped up hugely on flashy marketing and not a lot of substance. But those brands are typically flash in the pan type things. The, the standard for marketing has gotten so high in the detailing industry that it's pretty easy to spot the fakes pretty quick. Back in the day, you could have been the flashy marketing guy and then had a crap product or crap service and it would have, it would have maybe sustained for a little while. Where we're at now with the marketing quality being so good at every level, you kind of have to have both because the, the frauds are found out real quick, right? It's the, the, it happens in, in a matter of minutes, not weeks, years or months. You know, it's, it's, you're, you're found out like that. But it's also it's interesting to, for me to see that a lot of the brands, and I, I, I take this personal approach with Rupus as well, is it's, it's more about trying to tell the story to the customer. What's it? It's not about pretty pictures and things. It's 
trying to tell the story to the customer. What's it like to use the product? How does that product fit into their world? What problem does it solve for them? What, you know, it, it, what, what components to it? It's more than just a tool or a pad or a compound or a detail spray or a coating. What's, what comes with that? Because you buy, you buy Rupa's polisher, that's fine, it's polisher. You can buy a polisher lots of places. But we market on the idea that there's an entire company of people that are behind it to provide technical support, to provide repair support, to provide training, to provide ongoing education, all these things. So that's the that's the uh, the twist in marketing now is a little bit more of telling that whole story. It's not just the flashy product anymore. You've got to tell the whole story of the brand in 30 to 60 seconds sometimes, right? That's the that's the trick. Um, and that's not something that we saw back in the day. It wasn't a, it wasn't storytelling back when I started. It was you know pretty pictures and, and make it look cool. It's come a long ways. It's gotten more co more complicated, more nuanced. Um, but at the same time, there's more of it, and I think more and more guys are figuring it out. Yeah, it, you know, it, 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 to me, it's just, I, 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 let me read some. I sent this to Jason Rose this morning. You know, I, I mean, it does blow me away as we're talking about his upcoming training here. And, you know, we were blown away that it was filled up that quickly. But I said, I couldn't agree more. I said, unthinkable that the demand is this high for education now. I never dreamed we would see this greatness mm -hmm. in our time and our careers, young and old. True entrepreneurship is alive and thriving in the detailing industry. I never dreamed 10 years ago I would say that. Never. Um, it was, it, you just, you saw an occasional true detailer really, really make it. When I say make it, buying houses, investments, not working seven days a week, you know, 10 hours a day. There's entrepreneurs out there that are Monday through Friday, eight hours, and healthy and wealthy. And, you know, I think it's companies like Group S that, and, and professionals like you that have made that happen. And it's pretty dang exciting. So, hey, Chris, this is a detailing success takeaway. So, Dylan, this is a time where we get into some nitty gritty, what I think is some of the most important conversations we have during this discussion. But before that, Chris, we've got a, today's takeaway <laughs> sponsor is, can anybody guess? Well, yeah, we want to we, we want to highlight uh, Rupes right there on the shirt, right? So there you go. Um, but uh, you know, and I thought you know we've all got um, our favorite tools and stuff like that. And Rupes has definitely got you know they're probably their most popular is your your Bigfoot fifteen millimeter and twenty one millimeter and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, Dylan, what's your favorite from the from the, so from the lineup? My personal favorite. And all things considered, I actually like the LHR 75 pneumatic. So the mini pneumatic is probably the most fun tool to work with. It's 15 millimeter orbit at 11,000 RPM. So it's humming. I mean, it's yeah. pound for pound the most powerful tool we make. You can't really you do a whole car with that, with that tool. That'd be, a, that'd be a heck of a lot of work to do a whole pad with that, or a whole car with that tool. So in terms of functionality, the one that I grab the most is going to be the LHR 15. But if if I'm going to say which one makes me smile the most when I grab it, it's that 75 pneumatic. I think I I, I cackle and giggle like a schoolgirl when I use that thing. It's just so fun. To <laughs> that thing. It's, that's, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. That's pretty take, cool. Hey, what, take what, oh real real quick, Randy, take us back in time though. I wanted to go back. Uh, when did the Mark One first come out? What year was that? So it's 2011, 2012 is where it's shown at SEMA, somewhere in that range. I don't I always forget. I think it was 2011, shown at SEMA. It actually starts hitting the U.S. 2012, 2013. 
So like I, for example, I have the, I have my very first 15 that I bought and it is a early build to, it was like built like January, 2013. And it was one of the earlier ones. In the state. So I've seen a few 2012 serial numbers out there. They're, they, they trickled in at first. I mean, the Italians had no idea what, I mean, they knew they had something, but they had no idea. They hadn't experienced the detailing market in the U.S. And in terms of markets, the U.S. is probably one of the most developed detailing markets. There's more technicians and more independent operators here than I think probably there are anywhere in the world. And so the Italians were largely ignorant of it, not not for lack of trying to understand. It's just a lot of people don't. Even the people who live here don't fully understand the scope and breadth of the detailing industry and how big it is, really. So uh, when they first started trickling in, I think they had no idea the demand that was about to hit them. And so it's funny because the, the serial numbers, there's very few of these 2012, 2013s, and then also the 2014s are like this because they, holy crap, we got to make more of these things. These, these Americans are nuts and they're buying tons of them. I'll have, to, uh, I'll have to look at my serial number. I think my Mark 1 is from 2013. Yeah. So, yeah. I think right. I'm trying to find a 2012 if somebody has one, I'd buy it off of them just so I can have it. My 13's been fully gone through. It looks like brand new. I don't use it anymore, it's been restored. It sits in my office as a nice little trophy, but I, I want a 12 just so I have kind of a, a super early one in my collection. Yeah, I gotta look. I gotta look at mine. Mine was an early one. I mean, I remember when they're flying them over. Remember that yep. when they had to, the, the demand was so heavy that they were flying them over. And mine was on one of those planes that when it when it was flown over. I mean, it's unreal of mm -hmm. uh, what the demand was. Um, so hey, let's 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 talk about uh, marketing a little bit. This is a big takeaway. From a detailer, again, again, trench warfare, people are in the trenches. What are people getting and not getting when it comes to marketing? We talked briefly about it, but if you want to talk to the, the independent detailer, what, what's some, some good input that you're going to give them? So I, I think the first one's simple, and it's been touched on a ton. I think you and I have had this conversation before, and I've seen it talked about other places. Stop marketing to other detailers. <laughs> like, yeah. it's it's uh, I, I for as much as I talk about all the good marketing, I do see plenty of bad as well. And it, it's I the perfect anecdotal story I have for this. I have a buddy who's he's into cars, but he can give a squat about detailing. And occasionally he'll ask me to clean up his cars. His cars are always swirled. They're clean, but he doesn't do a good job of washing them, so they're all swirly. And, and it's just it's just not his thing. He doesn't care. It, the swirls don't bother him, and largely he tracks his cars. But he got interested, he bought a new car, he bought a CTSV, a newer one, and he got, thought maybe you should take care of this one. So he said, you know, he started doing research on ceramic coatings. And he sends me a message and he says, what's the deal with people pouring like Aquafina on the car? Is that like part of the process or what? <laughs> and I go, no, that's just something stupid that detailers do to show water beating. And he asked the question, and this is the perfect perspective for a detail. He goes, well, why? And I go, yep. An excellent question. I know because they want to show the water beating, but to the consumer who's ignorant of what this does, all that is is a weirdo pulling a, pouring a bottle of water on a clean car, and he's going, what the hell are these guys doing? Why are they pouring bottled water on cars? That kind of stuff drives me crazy. And you just go, that's not, that's not putting yourself in your customer's seat and viewing it from your customer's perspective. That's viewing it from your perspective, the perspective of other detailers, doing it for the gram, you know, oh, check out this water beating. Instead, what you should be doing is educating your customer on the benefits of what that product does. And if you want to sprinkle in that, you know, water beating is part of that or is a, an effect of that, you can. But customers don't care about water beating. 
Why would you why no. would you frame up a marketing campaign around water beating? For a, for a supplier, a manufacturer of coating, they should do that. They should be marketing water beating so that the technician buys that product because of its beating ability. But for for a detailer who applies a product to sit there and market water beating to a customer who has no idea that water beating is good, bad, or what is hilarious. It means you're throwing bad money at an ad. You know what my brother asked me? He goes, hey, is the international indication that you're a detailer or a green hose with water coming out of it hitting a car? <laughs> he said, for the yeah. last five years on your feed, that's all I see is somebody with a green with a green, with a a green green hose spraying a car down. And I'm like, I mean, it, it's it's like, and people still do it today. And I'm like, I mean, I, I just shake my head. So I'm glad you said that. Now with that, let's, this kind of goes into it. What sets... And I don't want you to be humble here. I want you to be dead honest because you guys came in and changed the tool industry, period. It'll never be the same because of the brand. What sets Rupes apart from your competitors? I mean, it's it starts foundationally with the team. And we can thank, uh, you met Chip Case, who's now retired. He was our first CEO. And Chip was effectively employee number one, him and Todd Helm, who you also know, were kind of the first two guys and they were on an island. There was no infrastructure here. There was about five distributors. Everything's being shipped in from Italy and, and shipped direct to the five or so distributors, you know, Kevin Brown at Buff Daddy and Todd at Esoteric and Auto Geek are getting their little shipments of stuff, fill at Detailers Domain. There's zero infrastructure. So we can think kind of the foresight of Chip, who's at the helm at that point, he said he didn't come from a detailing background. He'd worked for Dynabrade. He'd been in, in the abrasives industry. And this is the best way to build a team is to build it with a team of experts, right? So he goes out and he finds talent. And so, he, I mean, basically, Jason and I started the day apart. You can remind him when he's at the training, I started a day before him. So I have seniority. <laughs> I started exactly yeah. one day before him. And so I like to remind him yeah. that Rupert found hiring me is a larger priority than hiring him. That's exactly it. Jason, you're listening. I, I can pull rank because I started the day before he did. But anyways, so he, we go out and we seek talent. And we, we pull in people that not just, again, it's not just good detailers, but people who have a secondary skill set. Jason is incredibly good at product development. He is an amazing trainer. And these are components. You kind of build this thing. You plug in little bits and pieces to build this thing. And eventually we get the facility. We plug in more people and more people. We keep adding extremely talented, high-caliber people to the team that are invested in the, the mantra that we have, which is educate to differentiate, right? We want to teach people a better way, and if they choose to use our stuff, that's great, but we're going we're gonna to teach you regardless. You're going to learn how to do stuff better, and we hope you choose to use our stuff. Secondarily to that, and it's part of the team mentality, is then we start looking it ties in a little bit to what I was saying about marketing and, and viewing things from your customer's eyes, is alleviating pain points. You know, so so for a power tool company, one of the biggest pains in the butt is if something breaks, what do I do with it? So we have gone to great lengths to put together what I believe is a, I don't think there is another repair program in the industry like ours where we have a dedicated team that is just there to help with troubleshooting and repair. These are guys who work on the manufacturing line in Colorado and they repair tools and we will bring a tool in preventative maintenance or otherwise, and we will turn around as fast as possible. And it's done in house. It's not farmed out to a third party. You're dealing with the company that's that put it together and that's the company that's gonna take care of it. So it's those little things. We, we're, we're, I, I try to tell people that's something that I put into my marketing and, and something that everybody should take to heart regardless of what level they market at is, 
sell solutions, not products. Right? Sell the idea that the company is going to stand behind it and fix a problem for you, whether that be a repair or technical training or make your job faster because of this product we have. We don't sell polishers, we sell solutions. And, and I think that's the, the mentality that even detailers can take away is you're not selling paint correction and coating, you're selling a clean, shiny car that's easier to maintain. You're not selling interior details, you're selling a clean interior, you're selling the solution. The customer doesn't care. Don't tell me how the hot dogs are made. Just give me the damn hot dog. That's that's the mentality. And so that, that's kind of something we take to heart real heavily here at Rufus is that we aren't, we aren't about the Bigfoot polisher or this pad or that compound. It's what that can do. What's the solution? What's the problem that that solves? And taking that approach is, I think, largely what contributes to the success. We're not selling products. We're, 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 we're a consultant, basically, that helps you fix a problem. And that's where we want to exist for most of these guys. I love it. Well said. Um, any, so, Seema, it feels like an eternity since we've all been together, right? Can't, can't wait. Uh, any 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 uh, little hints or uh, anything coming up? You guys going to do anything uh, new or exciting, Asima? Well, there's some stuff uh, in the works. I share with anybody else. Yeah, it's just, just you and best friends. Uh, 46 of our closest friends. No, yeah. um, nothing that I can comment on publicly, but there's always there's always something going on behind the scenes at, at Rupa's. I tell people the second we release a product, the replacement for that product is already in development. So so be aware of that. We, there's certain things that, always, that are always going on. But there will be some. Which ones will be ready for SEMA? We're not quite sure yet. There's still quite a few things that are kind of on the cusp of being ready, and we want to get them out there. Um, SEMA itself, I mean, I'm just excited that it's back. I mean, it's we need it. God, do we need it. <laughs> like it's, back, I, back. You and I haven't seen each other in person since, I think, SEMA. Like, it's 2019. No, so it's been a minute, man. No, so I need to throw hugs and my high fives and i need to see some people face to face these are all great these these video things are great but i, I need some face to face time well we're gonna we're, have we're, we're, we're gonna have fun we're planning on throwing our party again and uh you know so you definitely definitely need to be there but uh we're looking forward to it yeah it, it so so now going on is uh we talked about your favorite tool so what's something that you'd like to see tool wise not necessarily polish or anything else but and maybe not even it maybe it's not a tool maybe it's a instrument we use in business what what do you what would you like to see detailers engage more in when it comes to what's available for us or what what you need to be looking out for in the future i am a i'm a data nerd and i which is funny because i my worst subject in school was always math i suck at math Give me a spreadsheet and some numbers, though, and I can make some pretty key decisions. And I think it's a tool that exists that is underutilized is detailers using data to make decisions. Mm. There's there's the black yeah. and white of all things. Everything can be measured, weighed, and quantified that operates within a business, right? And so I don't see enough guys making data-based decisions, whether that be in their marketing campaigns and doing proper targeting and studying what's working and adjust. It's the, the analyze, adjust, and deploy. Analyze, adjust, and deploy is how I operate with anything that we do with advertising, right? We run an ad we, for a fit, fixed period of time. We look at it and go, what did it do? Where did it succeed? Where did it fail? Make small adjustments and then redeploy again and continue to refine that and distill it until it's perfect. And I see too much in, in advertising for guys who are doing paid Facebook ads and stuff. It's just the shotgun approach. Yeah, I'll put 10 bucks at it. 
see what happens. And then they do the, ah, it sucked, it didn't do anything. Okay, well, I mean, whose fault is that? <laughs> so uh, it, it, so the, the tool really is, it's, it already exists. All the data is there. Be better at mining data, analyzing data, making decisions based on data. If it's not about your ads, it's about your process. How can you shave seconds or minutes off of every job? Every training we do centers on so much on efficiency and how can we get through the process faster? That's stuff that's easy. You don't have to be a wizard to do that. You can do a time study on what you're doing and try and trim out, whether it be plugging in a product that does a better job or does something faster or trying to combine steps. But taking data and looking at it and making decisions and adjustments based on that, that's the thing I want to see more guys do. You know, it's a, it's amazing you say that because I've I, I've had some amazing mentors and coaches in business through my life. Chris will verify this. Somebody is asking me, is do you do you truly take time off on your business? Is there a day where you just don't think business? And my answer is is you know on the weekends it's my family time, it's my time. You know, I, I mean I do work, but here's the reality. I look, Nick, Chris will verify that. I look at my data every day, three hundred sixty five days a year, and it only takes thirty seconds. Because I'm so, my eyes are so trained on it, I can come in and look at my data and know exactly where I'm at at any given time. And it takes 30 seconds. Yep. It's not a, ta a big task once you, you know, they say, what, what's the day? You do something 20, 27 times in a row and it's a habit. Mm -hmm. Is that, Dylan, you just nailed it. Is whether it's your numbers, whether it's your hours, you know, whether it's your profits per hours, your shop rates, your cost per service. All those things you should have at your fingertips, and software allows you to do that, and it's there and present now and available for you. Yep. It's brilliant. Let me. It, uh, let me. It's a simple putting together a dashboard. Really, I mean, that's where you get to eventually, right? You get good at looking at numbers, and eventually you have your snapshot. And everybody should have key metrics. And this is something I learned. This is this goes back to the Avery Denison paper company days. We started every single shift. There's a huge board, and there were visual anodes, and everything was color coded green, yellow, red. And it was the key numbers we looked at for production and shipping and all these things. And basically it was the whole staff got in front of that at the start of the shift. And then you looked at it, you knew if it was green, things were going good. If it was yellow, it's on the fringe. If it was red, we needed to work on it right now. And it took, it was a one minute startup meeting at the start of every shift. And I've adopted that in everything I do is that there's, there are certain high level numbers and metrics that you need to know as an operator. You mentioned something like, what's your, what's your profit per hour? What are you making? How many jobs are you booking? All this kind of stuff. You can just analyze those keys. You don't have to do the deep dive every day, but if you pull that data into one place and can look at the start of every day and go, okay, these are all in the greens. Uh-oh, red, what's wrong here? Oh gosh, our cost for whatever went up this much. I need, that's a flag. I gotta go start looking at how do I reduce that cost? Simple, and you can do it, like you said, 30 seconds, and there should be not a day goes by where you don't at least take a glance at those numbers. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's amazing that you, you say, you know, the the, the, the color code. We, um, you know, the military, both in search and rescue, civilian search and rescue military, is the Coast Guard developed a thing called the GAR report. And what that stands for is green, amber, red. So what it, what it, so on a, on a, on a rescue mission is how we do that is our team, let's say that we're all a team right now, Dylan, you're our commander, is our commander will reach out down to us and he's like, okay, guys, you know, pretty hairy. What are you guys going to eat? rank this and green green amber 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 red and if there's one red in there that's data and we go back and we say okay chief why are you looking at this as red and that may be a go no go 
on that mission. And so data is in every part of our lives. And detailers, unfortunately, I don't think look at that. I, that's one of the most important things on this podcast I think anybody's brought up. And I want to th thank you for that because li listen to this. That data, there's a guy right here. And I know you're a data guy. I, I've watched you and analyzed you for years. And, and I just, I love the fact that you guys, the influence that Rupas, the culture of Rupas has been game changing. And, and, and I think you saying that's just magical. So, okay, let's take that, that, that sexy beard and let's take it down and let's look at your, your crystal ball. Okay. So rub that beard against the crystal ball, get some energy going. Um, what, what are you seeing in the detailing industry ahead for entrepreneurs in regards to products and in regards to tools? So three separate questions. Uh, in tools, I think, you know, it's funny. I think there's more, not less. Um, and, and that's not just because we're a tool manufacturer. I think that a small investment pays large dividends. And this goes back to that efficiency thing. And it's the, it's the reason why we have a 21 with a seven inch pad and a mini with a three inch pad, right? It's, it, it's it, sure that tool costs you 300 bucks, but if it saves you a couple of minutes off of every job from here to the end of time, it paid for itself within the first few jobs. So, and I think, you know, whether they come from us or other companies, I think more innovative tools that solve maybe not bigger issues, but more specific, very niche things. You know, it's that specialty, specialty tool that you whip out every two or three cars, but it makes that job so much easier. So I see that the, the breadth and the, the number of things that a guy would have if he's really, really operating efficiently is going to increase. Um, the trend that I see and I've been kind of soapboxing at all of our trainings about is diversification. And I think for years we've been on the correction and coding train. And I think that's good. I think that's there's there's big money and there's value in that service. But not every customer is a correction and coding customer. And I think too many guys are trapped in that loop where if it's not that, if it's not the $2,500 full multi-stage correction and coding job, then I don't do it. I don't think that's I don't think that's wise from a stability standpoint. I don't think it's recession proof. I don't think that it's diversified enough. So I, I keep preaching this diversification of services thing is you've got to have express services. You got to have varied price points. If a guy comes to you for a coding and you say it's twenty five hundred bucks and he go, and he goes, oh god, man, I only wanted to spend like at most five hundred bucks, then you should have a five hundred dollar option. Don't be too Amen. good to take that money. It's all green, it all folds, and you can spend it. Take that mm. for a few reasons. One, because there's a hell of a lot more of those customers out there than there are $2,000 correction coding customers. So you're talking about scope of market, right? Bigger potential. If you only capture 1% of that market in your area, that is a huge number. Secondarily, it's a lower leverage situation. If I book, if I'm a one-man operation, which a lot of detail operations are, and I do all the corrections and coding, or I'm a one or two-man operation, if you book one in, that's a full day or multi-day commitment. If that guy flakes, which we all know they will, even when you take deposits, they're not all, all not all customers show up. That just blew up your schedule. It's going to be very hard to backfill that on short notice. But if you book four or five express jobs a day and one guy backs out, you still got four. And so you're in a much lower leverage situation. It also helps you scale your business. If you are Amen. a rock star paint correction guy and you are just the master of coatings, good. Go find a guy who isn't that you can teach to run a polisher. Okay. Doesn't have to be 
you know, Mr. Miyagi, master of wax on, wax off, but somebody you can teach and give them all of your express work and then add more guys and more guys. You could have so much express work flowing in through the door that keeps these guys busy all the time. They could be your help with washing and prepping cars for your higher end correction stuff that you still do, but it gives you the ability to scale. So all that wrapped up is diversify. Don't be, don't pigeonhole yourself into this correction coding thing. I talked to too many guys. Oh, I don't, I only do, I only do high end detailing. Eesh. You know, all it would take is one financial blip in the economy to go sideways for a lot of these guys who are propped up heavily on that high end stuff to lose everything. And it's, you don't want to be trying to build your express services when it's too late. You know, it, we, you and I have lived through those slowdowns. We talked about that first day of training here. We've seen those slowdowns. And I love the scalability angle that you took on this. Also, Ruth Chris Steakhouse, pretty good food. They have appetizers. <laughs> you, you don't just need to order a steak. Uh, yep. They've got they got good salads. They've got great appetizers. They have a great dessert. Yep. You need to put a nice menu out there that's well-rounded, that's simple to sell off of. In the scalability side, I can teach a person how to do wash clays and waxes in about half an hour. I can get them really good at it. They can start on Monday at Friday. They pretty much mastered it. And mm -hmm. I can pay them well. It doesn't kick their butts. The current generation workforce likes that because it's not too hard of work. And my customers dig it. And, you know, you're have to. You can be the master of paint correction and coatings, but maybe your other guy, if you're small, is doing all the work that you don't want to do. Yeah. Uh, and you can double, you could double your income just by doing that. So that, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. So what do you think is coming down for tools? I mean, where, where are we going tool-wise? I mean, there's. do you think there's a future in cordless? I mean, Makita changed the game back in the 70s. Where, where are we going with all that? I think cordless is definitely the future. You know, it, it's, it's something that uh, obviously Rufus is looking into. The challenge for us is, is that we've always centered our stuff on ergonomics and so the one thing that is lagging i think in in that realm is that the battery technology hasn't quite caught up yet it's good yeah. in short bursts but you're constantly cycling batteries and they're expensive they're also heavy and so battery technology is slowly catching up with everything else we've got all the other componentry and i say uh, not just rupees i just think as a whole the powerful industry has smaller lighter more efficient motors all the other things we need, what we need is the battery technology to catch up. And with the ergonomic focus being so high for Rupas on the design standpoint, the, the thought of slapping a battery on the back end that weighs as much as the rest of the tool and making a tail happy blows up our commitment to that ergonomic idea. Mm. So it is the future because we've got to get away from having to be near power and that kind of stuff. And obviously so many other industries, if you look at companies like Milwaukee and all these other guys, the, the stuff that they're doing with battery technology is amazing in industries where either the usage is short burst you know it's a couple seconds to a minute here or there or the battery hangs off the bottom of the tool it doesn't change that balancing dynamic detailing is different in yeah. that with these long tools and you're going to be using it for if you're really serious about this eight plus hours a day right and so th there's a there's a magic point where i think battery technology catches up with tools that's me looking into my little crystal ball and kind of guessing will it it everything always does. I mean, look at how much storage you have on your iPhone now compared to your first cell phone, right? Data has shrunk. You can get a terabyte of stuff on your phone now where you couldn't even get, you know, a, a fraction of that on old stuff. 
things get smaller as technology advances, they get lighter, they get faster. So I think that the, we are going that way. I just think that we're waiting on the last piece of the puzzle to catch up with everything else. So challenge, you got your phone by you? Yeah. Dylan? Yeah. Okay, Chris, you got your phone by you? Yeah. Let's look, let's see who's got more. Go into your photos and tell me how many photos you have. <laughs> oh, I just cleared out mine. Okay, how many photos, Chris? Well, it's showing 6,700 right now. Okay, Dylan, how many photos you got? I'm at 4,845. 4,845. I'm at 22,339. <laughs> I think I need to clean my phone up. <laughs> <laughs> so my, point, my point to this is that Dylan just nailed it. Is that uh, so here, here's the deal when, when, when Rupes does jump into that game, they're going to jump in hard, and it's going to be a game changer. I can tell you that right now. We all know that. I can't wait for you guys to do that because what it's going to do is just elevate the game across the board. And I think that you guys, if anybody's going to figure out the ergonomics part with the battery, you know, and I think that if you're a young detailer at some point, probably the majority of your, your, your work is going to be done with a cordless tool eventually. You know, eventually, that's oh, my prediction. Well, going that way, right? Everything's going that way. Electric cars are. Um, I mean, when when GM announces an all electric Hummer, and I think the Ford Lightning that's coming out is going to be all electric, and all these things. It, when companies of that size have made the commitment to go that direction, everything follows. And so it's just a matter of all the pieces falling into place for every every bit of technology, and eventually we live in a completely wireless world. We're not quite there yet, but I think we'll get there sooner rather than later. Well. You got these guys that are built, you know, having battery packs the size of this table for their vehicles that that technology takes and flows down to us using tools. Yep. And yep. It's, it's, you know, I mean, I'm really excited about it. You know, right now, uh, there's some stuff out there. They're not perfect, but it's a step in the right direction. And yep. it just creates innovation. You know, you look at the, our, 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 our industry states, you know, we were really excited when a new compound came out. It's still exciting. You know, it's still exciting. But that was the biggest news ever is, look, we've got a new compound. And then nine years later, there'd be a change in that compound, you know. Mm -hmm. And, oh, look, we've got foam pads, you know. Uh, and foam pads sat on the shelves for a decade before anybody trusted them, you know. And so to be in the industry now where there's so much innovation, so much creative minds and so much creative power, pretty exciting. So one piece of advice if you could, you, you've watched detailers across the world, you've engaged globally with people, what's a people, piece of advice you'd like to leave with people today? I think I said this the last time when me and James were on, and it's one of my favorite things. I, I don't know if I came up with this, I feel like I did, but maybe I didn't. Maybe, maybe I'm wording somebody else's words this way, but nobody ever built a nice house by stealing bricks from their neighbors. And it, it's that idea that you don't wanna have the nicest house in the shittiest neighborhood, excuse my French, um, you want to have, you want your whole neighborhood to be nice. And that's just a way of saying, don't, don't tear other guys down to build yourself up. Mm. It's still, it's better than it's ever been before. I, I see more cooperation in individual markets and between brands and, and competitors than I think I've ever seen. It's get, it's, we've been on this slow improvement scale for a while, but I still see kind of the, the down and dirty backstabbing, you know, type mentality in some markets where a guy will say something about another guy and it's just this bitter blood feud type thing. And it's, 
you know, there's enough business in this industry for everybody. I mean, there are more cars than all, if all of us detail nonstop from here to the end of time, there's more than enough cars for us to clean. We should all be on the same team of generating interest for detailing services, what the value is to the consumer, and then trying to capture our fair share of that, not tearing the other guy down and fighting over one customer or a group of customers, right? There's, you're not going to be able to, you don't get to be the only guy in your city, unless it's a very small city doing detailing. So don't, don't spend time trying to rip other guys down to build yourself up. Exist on your own reputation. Again, you don't want to be the nice house in the bad neighborhood. You want to, you want a nice neighborhood to live in. And that comes with everybody else being successful as well, not just you. Well said. You know, it, it's, it's a couple points off of that that you just hit on that you made me think about is, um, you know, it, it, I never really concentrated when I was building shops up. I never concentrated on taking customers for another client. I concentrated on building clients that weren't doing detailing and detailing customers. Mm -hmm. Is that I wanted to take and convert people that just had no idea of what a really nice car looked like and getting them addicted to my services. And I just didn't concentrate on the other guys. The other thing I want to do is 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 take this one step further. You represent a brand. I represent a brand. Is the worst thing I see is uh, you know trainer mentors coaches in the detailing industry seems like everybody's now trying to train right. The worst thing I see is when somebody goes in and, and asks about somebody. Hey, what do you guys think about X Y Z trainer? It has nothing to do with me. And then you see smart asses come on and absolutely sabotage that that brand. Stop being brand sabotage. If you don't have anything nice to say, you can go in and say, you know, let's say that you, you, you find a, uh, hey, this, this pink cup detailing product, you know, what do you guys think of this pink cup detailing product? And you can say, you know, not my favorite. You know, I've, I've used things I probably prefer a little more. That's called being professional. When you go in and say, oh, that stuff sucks, you're an idiot. Yeah. You're not part of the solution in this industry. You're part of the problem. Yeah. And so stop being a freaking yeah, stop. Yep. Spend less time criticizing and more time praising. Right, to your point. Yeah, I, if somebody asks and you don't like it, it's simple enough to say it's not my choice. I prefer, and this is why I use this instead. Instead of saying that stuff sucks, it doesn't do this, it doesn't do this, it doesn't do this, it doesn't do this. That doesn't doesn't build anything up. I, I I never can. I don't have a lot of patience for people who love to point out problems but never provide solutions. We all have those people that exist in our spheres, right? They, they just want to go, well, that sucks. And then that's the yeah. end of it. And you go, okay, well, what doesn't suck then? Let's, I get that you don't like that, but what do you like, right? So it's a very right. simple thing. That's not my choice. I didn't have a good experience with it. But you know what I really did like is insert whatever. Absolutely. So, I, you know, I'm trying to get that message out because we're going through a little, you know, COVID. We saw some of the wild bees come out, you know. Uh, some of the animals were let out of the zoo. Um, it, it, it did calm down over time. But now I'm recognizing, you know, we're getting a little cocky again. Things are going good. And there's some people being absolutely – I'll say it. I don't get my feelings hurt, guys. I, you know, I really don't. It, it's pretty hard for me to – I'm a sensitive person. If I don't know you, I really don't give a shit what you think about me. I really – I got news. But when you go after a friend's brand or you go after a brand that I just have – maybe I don't even know them but I've got respect for them. I don't think that hurts the brand. I, I, I honestly think it hurts our entire industry is because consumers look at you like you're a buffoon. And then you take and downgrade. Guys like Dylan and myself, we've been working on this our entire lives, our entire pro professional career. Don't shit in our pool. 
Simple as that. Yeah. We work too hard. There's too many people that have worked too hard to get it here. And your little pansy ass doesn't mean to be damaging what we've worked hard to do. And so, um, hey, you know, Dylan, it's great. I, I can't wait to get around you. Um, we're going to do some fun things at SEMA. And uh, how do people, you know, how do people follow Root Eston? But, you know, I think a lot of people need to connect with you. So explain how people can uh, connect up with you guys. So simplest way, so we've got kind of two channels for everything, right? There's the global, which is our Italian friends that manage the whole world. And then there's the North American piece, which we're in charge of here. So simple is at Rupus USA or at Rupus for all things, uh, you know, social media, uh, you know, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all that stuff. Those are pretty easy to find. Myself, I'm always, I always operate under my name because you know what? There is no other Dylan. It's, that account name is always available. There's no Dylan Von Kleist one out there as far That's as I'm it. aware. So I don't have to add the random number. So I'm pretty sure if you if you just search Dylan Monclice, you'll find me pretty much anywhere. And yeah, absolutely connect with me. I'm always, I, I try as much as I can to uh, to help on my personal profile. And if not, uh, if you reach out on one of the uh, company profiles, I'm probably the guy who's going to answer there too. So I love it, man. We'll connect with this guy. You know, Dylan. Uh, lastly, every time I hear your name, it's such a classy name. I think of a World War One fighter ace you know that was your great great grandfather oh, yeah. with the with the with the wrap around his neck and flying in his biplane you know and taking a dive down after the it just i love that name it's like it's like your royalty you know and and i just i love hearing it so hey buddy uh i'll take and make sure to to, to highlight to jason that he was you know a step a little, you know behind you in the hiring yeah. process uh, when he's here uh for those tune in i'll go live with jason when he's here uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, he's going to be at our shop for extreme one day. And we're going to have, a, 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 we're also having events uh, across the country. So if you're near Florida, uh, New Jersey, if you're down uh, towards Indiana or in the Midwest, Texas, Arizona, Chris, uh, we're having another one down in Atlanta. Is that, no, that's the next one. Oh, yeah, not, down yeah. A little down the road. But yeah, so you, you yeah, covered it. Down the road. But yeah, yeah so. June 12th, we're having um, events at all those locations, and uh, a lot of them are, are pretty full, but uh, if, if somebody's looking to get a little training done, reach out, and we can uh, try and make it happen. I'll piggyback on that. I saw in the comments a couple of people asking, when do our trainings resume? Group oh, yeah, good resume good our training. Uh, the email announcement will be going out this week, but the very first training of the you know, post-COVID area will be uh, – July 7th, 8th, and 9th, we're doing our first three-day, and we are going to cut and buff an entire car fresh out of a paint booth. So we are going we're going ham. We're going to sand every square inch of this car fresh out of paint and buff it back out with six students, and uh, and that'll be our first kickoff to, to training resuming at the Bigfoot Academy. Right on. Well, that's awesome. Well, speaking of that, you guys have got some prep work and some sanding, a lot of correction, a lot of polishing. <laughs> Some coating on a Porsche, so I think we better get busy. Dylan, always enjoy, buddy. Take care. You know, I almost feel like I, I, I as, as powerful as a podcast this was, I feel like I just, I haven't even ever, ever smoked weed, but I just feel like I had a bowlful. I'm just really mellow, <laughs> you know. I just, I feel, I feel so fucking positive right now, you know. I, I do. I just feel like, I just feel like so. It's and that's what a good marker to do, I, dude. I'm sold on you. I mean, you know, I'm sold. I want to make out right now. You know? <laughs> hey, 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 look at Chris. He, he's like, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Hey, man, Dylan, always a pleasure. Make sure to follow him. Check us out. Hey, make a comment, share, like, all that usual bullshit in social media world. 
we want to hear from you. And again, thanks for tuning in. Dylan, always a pleasure, buddy. See you soon, man. Thanks, Good man. luck with the first training, too. We'll see you later. Okay. Take care, guys.